All right, before we get into John, let me give you a quick update on our 12 steps for the year. If you don't know what our 12 steps are, at the beginning of um, this year, beginning of January, I outlined 12 steps that God was asking us to do this year that would help us as we move forward in the church. If you haven't heard the sermon, please go on our website, pick it up. Uh, I think it was January the 5th it came out. It's entitled 12 Steps. Have a listen. Uh, But one of them is about the Great Midlands Fun Run. Okay, Great Midlands Fun Run, which... I'm wearing the T-shirt that we wore last year, just by way of a visual reminder. The Great Midlands Fun Run takes place on the 1st of June. Uh, They shut all the roads around here, so we don't meet here on a Sunday that day because we actually can't get in here because all the roads are shut. But instead, we put a team into the Fun Run and we join the 7,000 other people running uh, the race and uh, we raised some money for a local charity. Uh, last year we raised it for Homestart. We're going to do the same again this year. We were, there were 14 of us who ran. We raised just over or just under £1,000 for them, which they were thrilled um, about. And we're going to do the same again this year. Just so you know, registration for the fun run opened yesterday morning, 10 a.m. They've already had 500 people sign up. Okay? So places are running out. They always sell out. If you are interested in running as part of the Real Life Church Dream, please register. Go online, do it today, do it this week, register. If you look under the team names, Real Life Church is there. I've put it in because I registered this morning. So if you want to be involved, you need to get booked in, uh, book yourself in online, and the second thing is you need to let me know. And then I'll form the numbers of the team. We'll get T-shirts ordered and printed uh, nearer the time, and you'll have T-shirts to wear. Um, that will look groovy and cool and you can train in them and you can keep them our gift to you. So we're running in the Real Life Church, um, the Great Midlands Fun Run Real Life Church team. Please consider running. If you don't want to run, that's fine. You can stand on the sides and yell at us as we do run. Um, that's okay, but I'll be eyeballing most of you wondering why you're not running. So, you know, just so you're aware that's coming. So please get booked in um, today. Go on to the website. All right. Let's look um, at the next series of John. We started our um, series on the John's Gospel back um, beginning of January. We're going to look, in 2014, we're going to be studying the entire of John's Gospel. We're going to preach through it all. We're going to do it here on a Sunday as part of our sort of sermon series. We're going to do it, look at it in life groups with discussion questions and trying to earth some of the things we've taught. We're encouraging you to read it in your own time, your personal devotions. I've talked to a lot of people who are doing that and getting a lot out of it. I too, I'm reading through it, um, asking myself the questions about Jesus, taking notes kind of in my journal. Um, so please just get every opportunity to get the Gospel of John into you. Listen to it on your commute. You can get the Bible on audio now in all sorts of formats. Listen to it on your, your iPod or your phone. Um, and we want to study John and find out as much as we can about Jesus. John, in the actual Gospel himself, wrote the purpose for writing this Gospel was that men and women would understand and believe in Jesus, who he was, and believe in him. And so we're looking at... Uh, we've looked at the first part of chapter 1 to, um, so far, and we're going to round out chapter 1 today. We looked at the, the kind of prologue of the book, the first 18 verses, which uh, is John's way of introducing the story. It contains lots of themes that he's going to pick up throughout the Gospel. It's very kind of grand, sweeping sort of... Um, entry to the book which we've looked at and we look kind of at the overall theme of the gospel which is basically if you want to know God have a good long hard look at Jesus. It also outlines the sort of the problem that we'll find throughout the gospel is that that God came to his people, Jesus came as a man to his people and they rejected him. They rejected him which will come up time and time again but it also contains some good news there in verse 12 saying that 
Um, those who did accept Jesus, those who did trust and believe in him, they had the right to become children of God, which will be picked up again in chapter 3 when we talk about being born again. So at the beginning of the Gospel, John is outlining these themes that are going to come up again and again. Last week we looked at the, the ministry of John the Baptist and actually how his, his role was to point to Jesus. He came before Jesus, but he recognised actually Jesus, the one who came behind him, Jesus, was much greater than he was, much bigger than he was. He said he wasn't even worthy to untie the strap of his shoes, to untie his shoelaces. So John knew his place and he was always pointing um, to Jesus. And what we're going to move on today is um, Jesus calling his first disciples. So if you've got that Bible in John chapter 1, we're going to read the final parts of it. We'll start at verse 35. And this is Jesus calling uh, his first disciples. The next day, again John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, so we have Jesus here calling his first disciple. It's similar to how the other Gospels start. In, in, in all three of them, there's an early incident where Jesus calls um, men to follow him. If this is different from what is usual. Usually what would happen if someone wanted to follow a teacher, uh, learn from a rabbi, they would go and find the rabbi and say, can I learn from you? But what we see here Jesus, is actually Jesus takes the initiative. He calls men to follow him. And after we've had the prologue where John set out, kind of the word coming and, and everything that's going to happen in the gospel. And then we've had the ministry of John the Baptist pointing, saying someone's coming, someone greater. And then Jesus coming saying, this is the one. We actually get kind of it grounded in everyday life now. 
where Jesus is interacting uh, with men um, and actually kind of working it out in practice all the things that John is talking about. So the kind of the narrative is really starting here as Jesus is interacting with people. And what we're going to look at, we're going to look at this passage in two halves because there's basically four men involved. The first one's Andrew and Simon and the next one is Philip and Nathaniel. So the first one, Andrew and Simon. Okay, the story begins next day. So it's immediately after what we've read about John the Baptist, him saying there's, you know, there's one coming, and then he says, Behold the Lamb of God, this is the one. This is the one who I said. And it, so it moves on to the next day, and he's still proclaiming the same message, John the Baptist. He recognised who he was as the voice. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make way uh, for the Lord. And he's still proclaiming, this is the one. And he's pointing it out, and Jesus comes along again, and he says, Look, here he is, behold the Lamb of God. And it says that some of John's disciples, so John obviously had followers of his own. He had people who had come to him to hear his teaching. They hear John's message and they obviously take that message seriously. Well, actually, if we're waiting for one, we're waiting for a Messiah. And then John says, that's the one, this guy Jesus who comes along. They actually take that message seriously and they, they go and investigate for themselves. At first, they're not actually named, those two disciples. We find out who they are later. One of them is Andrew. And the other one, we, we most commonly believe to be John, the author of the Gospels. So you've got John and Andrew there who are following John the Baptist. And John says, this is the one. This is the one we're talking about. And they naturally think, well, let's go and investigate. Let's go and find out what, what's going on. And the passage says that they follow Jesus, which has got interesting connotations there. It can just mean they followed him out, you know, like you follow someone out the door. But actually, there's a deeper meaning of actually they followed him. They've begun a journey that will end up one day at the cross and the empty tomb where they became his disciples and they chose to follow him and beyond. They followed him all the days of their lives. So Andrew and John are following Jesus and Jesus turns and speaks to them. And it's actually interesting, first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel. I think there's something significant about when when he speaks first. And what did he say to them? He says, what are you seeking what are you looking for? What are you after? That's the general sense. They're kind of all translated slightly differently depending on what, which one you're reading. But Jesus basically asked them, what are you after? Kind of, why are you following? What are you expecting to find? And it's an interesting question when we come to Jesus because a lot of people come to Jesus, but they come to Jesus with their own kind of, um, their own pre, uh, pre kind of ideas. They've got their own thoughts. They come to Jesus because he's a good moral teacher. They come to Jesus because he's a good example to follow. What are you after? What are you doing? And the way we come to Jesus can affect how we see him and how we interact with him. If you come to Jesus as a good moral teacher, all you're going to learn is some things he may have said, some nice stories. If you come to him as like, oh, he's a good example to follow, you might learn a bit about suffering and compassion and how he kind of treated other peoples. And then when he faced the end, he faced it quite stoically. But actually, you'll miss the important thing. You need to come to Jesus for who he is. And they've said who he is. He's the Lamb of God. John's clearly described him. This is the one the Lord sent. And you need to come to Jesus with that attitude. This is God the Son walking on earth. Because if you don't come like that, you're going to miss some of the important things. Miss the things that he is kind of he is saying, because John has clearly outlined him, John the Gospel author, as this is the Logos, the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning. He was pre-existent, he was separate from God, yet with God. He was the second person of the Trinity. He created everything. He holds everything together. And then he came and dwelt on earth amongst us. God sent someone before him, John, to proclaim his way, and now he's come onto the scene. And he's asking these two guys who are following, what, what are you after? What are you after? And they respond. They respond with a, a word of honour, rabbi. 
And John translates that for his um, Greek readers. It, just, it means teachers. And they basically ask him, they say, where are you staying? Which echoes back what we saw in the prologue about the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Where are you living? Where are you residing? Let's, I wanna, we want to come and be with you. And Jesus replies and says, okay, come and join me. Come and see, he says. And because it was late, so it was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So he's basically, these two guys are following him, having a good nose, who is he? And Jesus is basically saying, come and be with me. Come and look and see. Which I think has got interesting kind of um, process for us here, because I don't know what happened, how you became a Christian, or how you know how people became a Christian. Some people come, um, the, the statistics say, I've read sort of stories, people have a process of coming to know Jesus. They have, usually they have to hear the gospel a certain number of times. They have to come amongst it, amongst what's going on, hear the stories again and again. And what we have Jesus himself here saying to these guys, he didn't expect total obedience there and then, he didn't expect revelations there and then, he basically said to them, come and look, come and see, come and learn for yourself what you, and then you can make a decision there. And we'll see as the story goes on. These guys make their decision. They, 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 they realise who he is. But at first, Jesus' invitation is, Come and look. Come and see. And for us, actually, when we're communicating about Jesus to others, actually, our, our response should always be, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and learn for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself and see what you see. Come in among church. Come among Christians. Come among the people. And what do you see? What do you learn from that kind of thing? Because Jesus, that was Jesus' more. That's what he said. He said, come and see. Take time to process everything you're hearing. John has told you that I'm the Messiah. Come and see for yourself so you can have a kind of an understanding. Now, it, then it goes on to explain that what, we've, what I've told you, that one of them is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, John and Andrew, John the Gospel writer and Andrew, have spent time with Jesus. They've clearly spent an evening with Jesus and they've obviously seen something there. They've seen this man in the flesh that John the Baptist pointed out. And it says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, what's the first thing he did? once he'd kind of had this encounter with Jesus, it says he went and found his brother, Simon, and he said, we found the Messiah. His first response, he had a personal encounter with Jesus, he met him, he went and, and spent time with him, maybe they ate together, presumably they would have if it was getting late, spent some time in the evening. Having had that time with Jesus, what's the first thing he does? He goes and finds his brother and says, guess what? I found the Messiah, or the Christ. John translates it again for his Greek readers there. I found the one. So his first response from having this good news is to go and tell somebody else. To go and tell someone else. And for him, it was someone close to him, his brother. We know from the other Gospels, he worked with his brother. They were fishermen together, kind of business brothers, so he would have a, a close familiar relationship with him they were blood brothers, but also a close working relationship because they spent time together doing their job together. So he naturally just goes and tells him, and so guess what? I found the Messiah. Here's the one. And our principle for today is actually, when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus, where's the best place to start? People who know us the best, people we have relationship with, people who are around us constantly. They're the people who are best to start with. They're the ones you start with first. When you have good news in your life, you naturally tell the people closest to you first. That's just normal. That's not strange. That's just what you do. The good news just flows out of you. When we had good news to share, uh, share when Melanie was pregnant with the boys, time, who do we tell first? We told our family first, and we told our close friends first, and then it kind of rippled out from there um, to anyone who would kind of listen. 
But that's what, that's what they do. That was the first one. And they record, he refers to Jesus there as the Messiah, the Anointed One. Lots of Old Testament references here. Uh, the Anointed One, the kings of Israel were anointed with oil. So those in leadership, those in authority. We had, um, it, it signified a setting apart for God's work. We see um, priests anointed as well. Aaron, the high priest, he was anointed. Elisha, the prophet, was anointed. David, the king, was anointed. So we've got all three offices there of the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and king, anointed, set apart for God's work. And Jesus kind of uh, is the sort of the fulfillment of that as the prophet, the priest, and the king who comes on behalf of God. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who's set apart. And Andrew... So excited having met this person, goes and grabs his brother and says, let's go, I'll take you to him. And Simon then is brought um, to, to Jesus and what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, he looked at him. Now bear in mind, Simon hasn't actually spoken. He says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, or for us it means rock. That's what Peter means. It means rock. Peter was the rock. And so Andrew has brought his brother to Jesus, and Jesus proclaims something over his life. He speaks into his life. Peter hasn't done a thing at this point. We know Peter because Peter was a leader of the early church. You read through the gospel, he's the one with the mouth. He's the one asking all the questions. He does great things. He identifies Jesus as the Christ. He does some not-so-great things in denying Christ. He writes parts of the New Testament. He's always listed first in the 12 disciples. He was kind of the foremost. He's the one who stood up at Pentecost and preached. And how many got saved? 3,000 came into the church. He was the one they preached to Cornelius when the gospel went to the Gentiles, broke out of its Jewish kind of beginnings and went into the Gentiles and they guys got saved and on and on and on. Peter was kind of like, he's a hero in the early church and it's probably why in there in verse 40, where poor Andrew is described as Simon's brother. Because everyone knew, everyone knew who Peter was. We all know Peter. Peter had a brother? Oh yeah, some guy called Andrew. But actually, Andrew was instrumental in getting Peter to Jesus. But, and, but Peter, at this point, hadn't done anything. He wasn't this superstar hero. He was just a guy, a fisherman. And Jesus sees him and speaks over him and sees the potential in him, which I think is just a wonderful thing. Peter hadn't done anything, and he comes before Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, do you know what, you're the rock. <laughs> I'm going to call you rock, and I'm going to build on you. You're going to be the one who I'm going to build the church on. And Peter hadn't done anything. Peter hadn't said anything. Jesus just saw something about him, saw his plan, saw the plans and purposes of God, and said, do you know what, I'm going to use you for my glory, and I'm going to use you to build the church beyond and affect believers thousands of years later because we're still talking about him. But this guy Peter hadn't done anything. This guy Peter hadn't done anything. He hadn't done anything special. hadn't done anything worth it yet. But already Jesus just spoke into his life and said, you know what, you're going to be used mightily by me. So there's Andrew and Simon. Now let's move on to Philip and Nathaniel, the next two. So the next day again, so we've had a day with uh, Simon and John and Andrew meeting Jesus. The next day after that, um, John's putting the chronology together. They go to Galilee. Presumably they were still on the other side of the Jordan where John had been preaching. Jesus was there. Jesus got baptised there. They were returning back to Galilee uh, where there was the home. And Jesus goes and finds this guy, Philip. It says, Jesus went and found him. It just said, on Jesus' own initiative, we don't know why, but he just went and found Philip and called him to follow me. And he just says, follow me. Now, 
Philip is one of the 12 disciples. He's mentioned in the lists. He's not mentioned that often. We have more information in this gospel than any other gospel about Philip. He turns up about three times, I think. Or four times, concluding this one. So we'll see a bit more of him. But he is one of the 12. And so he turns up in all the lists of the 12 in um, the gospels and in Acts. So he's one, of, he's one of kind of those key men. But Jesus went and found him and called him. We have no reason to know why he did that. We just know Jesus wanted Philip. So he went and got him to join him. And he said, come and follow me. And he was from the same town as Andrew and Peter. Maybe he knew them, we don't know. But he was from the same area and he said, I want you uh, to follow me um, and do that. And then it says, what did Philip do? Philip went and found Nathaniel. So Philip had an encounter with Jesus. What's the first thing he did? There's a pattern here. He went and found his friend. He went and found Nathaniel and said, guess what? Guess who I found? It says, I found the one whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He says, the one that we read about in our Old Testament, the one that everything's been pointing to, because when you say Moses, it kind of sums up the law, and then you've got the prophets, which is kind of shorthand for the whole Old Testament there. The one that it's been pointing to, we've just found. So the one that history has been leading up to, I've met. And then he actually earths it in a a historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So identifies a person, where he lives, and and kind of his lineage, which would have been Joseph, would have been the believed father, even though we we know kind of the fuller story um, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So his natural father was Joseph. So he, he earths it in a person. There's no kind of, who could this be? It's this guy right here, this one the historical man Jesus. He is the one that has been written about for thousands of years through the Old Testament. I found him. He's the one. And um, he responds and he just goes and tells his best friend. Now, interestingly, what didn't happen, I I noticed in here that Jesus didn't say to, um, having found Philip, let me put you on a five-week course of evangelism training to know how to share your story. Philip just went and told him. (laughs) There was no, he had an encounter with Jesus and he just went and did it because it was natural and normal. And there wasn't any kind of, well, once you've finished this course, you know how to give your two-minute testimony, as good as that may be, and you know how to explain the gospel without using Christian jargon. You can go and tell someone about it. No, Philip just went and found Nathaniel and said, come, I found the one. Um, Nathaniel um, is only mentioned in John's gospel here at the end, so he doesn't have a lot to, don't, have a lot to don't know a lot about him. Although there is a possibility he is the disciple called Bartholomew. Um, due to names being used in different languages, which is on the list of the, um, the 12 disciples and often linked with Philip. So there is a, he might be one of the 12, we're not totally sure. But he's, he's been brought to Jesus. Nathaniel's response is absolutely priceless, I love it. So he's telling him, I found the Messiah. I found the one, the hope of Israel, the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. He's here. How, you can't get better news than that for a nation under oppression. Which Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, he obviously didn't have a very high opinion of Nazareth. It's obviously a dodgy place that they look down upon and thinking, you don't want to live there. We all know places like that. Wherever you grew up, there would be another place down the road, another part of the country that you look down your nose at and say, goodness, nothing good comes out of that place. And Nathaniel is obviously guilty of that same crime. And he basically says, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Now, that could be born out of his natural prejudice. It could be thinking about the fact that in the Old Testament it was prophesied where would the Messiah come from. In Micah uh, chapter 5, verse 2, it says it would be out, come out of the town of Bethlehem. And we know from the story that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, even though he was raised in Nazareth 
actually. So he might have been known as a Nazarene, it said, but actually his actual birth was from the royal town of Bethlehem. But um, that obviously clearly wasn't widely known. So Nathaniel could be thinking, actually, this doesn't line up. Actually, maybe, you know, the, the, the scriptures say actually you should come from somewhere else. It could have just been plain old kind of, you know, I don't particularly like that town, so I don't want anything to do with him. But what is um, the response of Philip? He, he, he receives opposition from Nathaniel at first. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Nathaniel says, what does Philip say? Come and see. Come and look for yourself. Come and make your own mind up. Come and don't just, don't just say, oh, reject it out of hand. Come and look for yourself, which is interesting what Jesus said to um, Andrew and John, didn't he? Come, come and see. Come and be with me. Come and dwell. And Philip um, is saying the same thing. Be simple to write. You come and look for yourself. Make your own um, decision. So he brings Nathaniel to Jesus. Again, Nathaniel hasn't done anything at this point. He's coming to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Basically saying there's no dodgy motives in Nathaniel. There's no kind of um, guile or, or negativity in there. He is coming, kind of opening to see. And this could be an allusion back to Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob. Um, the son of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And through Jacob, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. His 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob's name gets changed to Israel um, through his life. But Jacob, Jacob actually means, uh, what's that? It, it means um, grabber, one who grabs the heel. It basically means deceiver. And if you read the story of Jacob, a lot of it, he was a crafty little so-and-so. And he might have been really successful. You probably didn't want him as your best mate. Because actually he was a bit like, it'd probably rob you blind. Um, but, so he wasn't so, uh, but actually after an encounter with God, he is transformed and he becomes Israel, um, the one who, who God brings out the nation of Israel for. And so there could be a reference to that, actually. You're like Israel. You're an Israelite. There is no cunning, no guile in you. Unlike kind of Jacob beforehand, there is, there is something else because Jacob was transformed after an encounter with Jesus, which we'll look at as um, Jesus references himself later on. And Nathaniel's response to him is, well, how do you know me? Jesus made a statement about him and Nathaniel's obviously touched by this, cut by this. He says, how do you know me? How do you know that about me? How, do you, how can you say that? I've just kind of met you for the first time. To which Jesus replied, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus displays some kind of supernatural knowledge about Philip's whereabouts and what he was doing before he had physically appeared before Jesus. We might call that a word of knowledge in our vernacular, but Jesus obviously displays kind of his divine attributes there and saying, before Nathaniel came and got you, I knew where you were and I knew what you were doing. And Jesus is saying, actually, what, what I've said to you, I, I have a greater knowledge in you than you can kind of even fathom. What I've said to you now, actually, I know more about you. And Nathaniel responds, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. These two statements he's saying, he's, um, he's exclaiming something that he's seen about Jesus, his connection with God, his connection with his divinity. He's actually saying there's something about you that is divine. But the king of Israel shows his position of authority and power and points to the promise that the people of Israel have had for these hundreds of years that Philip has told him about. This is the guy. And Nathaniel is saying, I've seen it myself. You are the one. You are the one who's going to come and lead our people. You're the one who's God given to us in all power and authority. And Jesus responds and says, actually, because I saw you, you know, and I said that I would saw you, you kind of believe, but you're going to see much bigger things than this, much greater 
things than these. And then he uses this statement, which will turn up again and again in John, which is the, the truly, truly statement, which really kind of means truth, truth, or to emphasize the, um, the point, they repeat things. If we were going to emphasize something in our writing, we might bold it out, we might put it in underline, we might use a different font, italics, and grow it up. When they were writing, the way they emphasize something was it's repeated. If you read the Bible and see something repeated one after the other, it's emphasizing a point. So Jesus is basically saying, truth, truth, this, is re- this isn't just true, this is like really true, this is proper true, really important, you know, the trustworthiness of this statement. And he uses the word you there, and actually that yeah, you, you is plural. I read in the commentaries. So he's not just addressing Nathaniel, he's addressing a wider group there, the disciples and indirectly us. And he basically draws imagery from Jacob's vision. We've talked about Jacob being this one who um, God used, who was a bit, of a, a bit of a trickster, and then with the transformation of God, he was turned into Israel, father of the twelve tribes. God used him um, to kind of grow the nation of Israel. But that transforming effect, uh, time was in, I think it was Genesis 28, where he, he lay down and he had a vision of angels coming and going to and from the throne of God. Jacob's ladder is often referred to, where there's, he was asleep and he had a vision, and the angels were going up and down this ladder. And then when he woke up, he called the place Bethel, meaning house of God, meaning kind of this is where God was, this is where God's presence was. And, and Jesus is saying to them, he's saying to them, he's pointing out a, a lot of things that will come out again and again as you read, but he's basically saying, the, the true is, I am the true Israel. Jacob was Israel, and you had Israel was the physical descendants of Jacob. Physical descendants, so there was hierarchy. But we've already seen in John, actually, that God wants to make that wider. It's not just about a physical ethnicity anymore. Actually, the people of God, the ones who, who receive Jesus. So Jesus is saying, I'm the true Israel. You have to receive me to be part of that. It's not just about who your father or great-great-great-great-grandfather was. It's about receiving me. He's saying that actually the presence of God is, is on me. It dwells in me. I'm the one, and we've already seen that in John, when John says, I saw the Spirit of God come on him and remain in him. Unlike Old Testament, you had uh, men who, who, and women who were used by God, but the Spirit of God came on them and kind of left for specific tasks. You said the Spirit of God came on them and said, Jesus, no, he was, he was full of the Holy Spirit and it remained on, in him. So he's actually saying, the presence of God with me. I'm the one, I'm God on earth. Where The place where Jacob met um, God was called Bethel, house of God. And actually he said, I'm the one. I'm the one where you come to meet God. No longer will it be the temple, a place where you go. It will actually be me, a person. And he says, you're going to see greater things. And we're going to see it in a couple of weeks when Dave is going to talk on the next section of um, uh, John, where actually we have the first sign, the first miracle of Jesus recorded by John, which is the water into wine. So actually, immediately, Jesus' words are going to come true and say, actually, you're going to see greater things than me just saying, I, you know, I saw you under a tree. You're going to see miracle upon miracle, which will obviously culminate in the greatest, which will be Jesus' resurrection after his death on the cross. And Jesus, um, his final statement there, he says, descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a reference back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about one becoming before the Ancient of Days. And it says that uh, the Son of Man became before the Ancient of Days. Uh, Daniel saw in his vision, it says, all authority and power was given to him. And his kingdom would never end. It would last forever. So even Jesus, even there, is making a statement about who he is. I'm the one who was seen by Daniel hundreds of years ago in their exile in Babylon. I'm the one who's come and I have all authority, all, power, all power, and I'm going to set up a kingdom that will last forever. 
It will never, ever end. People say things like Jesus, like, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Have you read it? I mean, it's staggering what he claimed about himself. And if you, you know, you can't just sit and say, oh, he didn't claim himself to be God, he was just this, he was just that. Ridiculous. He made the most outrageous claims about himself, which is why people wanted to kill him. He said, I fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the true Israel. I'm the one where the presence of God dwells. I'm the one who's going to set up this kingdom that is going to last forever. I'm that one. And these four men met him over those two days and uh, had an encounter with Jesus. Let's have three quick things to finish with what we can learn from this passage. Number one, the initiative of Jesus. What I love about this is Jesus' initiative in going to these guys. It says in verse 43, Jesus went and found Philip. He went and found him. He says, you, come follow me. That was the initiative of Christ. Philip didn't say Philip was looking or anything. He went and found him. In addressing Nathaniel, he displayed supernatural knowledge. Jesus just took initiative. Nathaniel came to him. Jesus said, this is what I've seen um, about you. In naming Peter, Peter was brought by his friend and he just, Peter just, uh, Jesus saw something about him, named him, set a course on his life um, that made him one of the most famous Christians ever to walk the earth. Peter, just, and that was the initiative of Jesus. Even in, when you think about um, um, people like Andrew who followed Jesus, you might say, well, actually, that was more Andrew's initiative than Jesus. Why did Andrew follow Jesus? Because John the Baptist proclaimed who he was. And who sent John the Baptist? God. It says in verse, what, six, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. So the very fact that Andrew and the Gospel writer John were even following Jesus was because God had taken initiative and said, now's the time and I will send the voice to proclaim where I'm coming. It's all on the initiative of Jesus. Even when Jesus called his disciples, as you record in the other Gospels, he says, come follow me. Jesus is the one calling them to himself. Jesus is the one who takes initiative. If we go back to the very beginning of this Gospel, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was God. God was the one who started it. It all comes back to him. We read in the beginning of Ephesians. It says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Before anything was put in place, God chose a people for himself. In Luke uh, 19.10, it talks about the Son of Man coming to seek and save the lost, coming to find out those who were lost and save them. And when it comes to us being a Christian, if you're a believer here today, you're a Christian, the reason you're a Christian is because Jesus saved you. (laughs) Because Jesus took initiative. Jesus came after you. Jesus is the reason you're a Christian. There is no other. Even if you can put yourself in a position where you can say, I responded to an altar call at a meeting, or I put my hand up, or I prayed a prayer because my youth leader kind of said, why don't you pray this prayer? And he said, yes, I'm going to pray this prayer and commit my life to Jesus. The reality is, who gave you the breath to pray that prayer? Who gave you the strength to lift your hand up? Who gave you the kind of ability to walk forward and respond to that call? God did. Okay, and so when it comes to actually thinking about our salvation, we see it worked out in the story there. It all begins and ends with Jesus. Never let us get into a position where we think about, we chose Jesus. I found Jesus. He wasn't hiding. God found you. God came to you. God saved you. Which hopefully in us should stir up a wonderful sense of worship. Because it means it doesn't depend on you. There's nothing about you that is so good that God thinks, do you know what, I need to save him because they're just, they're really good. 
Now, they're really cool. They'll make great servants. No. God chose you because he loved you and he set his heart upon you. And he took the initiative to save you. Our salvation depends solely on him, which is great because it means you can't lose it. Because it's in his hands, not in your hands. You can't, you know, I can lose my car keys. I can't lose my salvation because it depends on him. (laughs) He's got it. He's got it. He's got it all sorted out. He began it, which means he's going to complete it. It says that somewhere, doesn't it? What God has begun, he's going to carry on to completion. What a wonderful place to be. God saved me, he's going to keep me, and he's going to carry me through to the end. The initiative of Jesus. He will save us, he will carry us through. The second thing is, there was the calling of ordinary men. Ordinary men. If you ever feel kind of within the kingdom of God, kind of what's my role, and you look around at others, look at the guys he called. Who's the first one he gets mentioned? Andrew. And Andrew is identified as someone else's brother. I mean, I feel for Andrew. It's like, well, who's Andrew? Well, he's, he's Simon's brother. And we all know who Simon is, because Simon's a Christian superstar, isn't he? He's the kind of the preacher and the leader. Poor Andrew is just identified as someone else's brother, but he was the one who started it. He's the one who led Peter to Jesus. And we've got Peter, the fisherman with such huge potential. He hadn't done a thing at this point. But Jesus called him and says, you're Peter. I'm going to build upon you. We've got Philip. We don't even know who he is. He's just just a name, really. We haven't got much more behind Philip. A few little comments here and there. And then we've got Nathaniel, the kind of the innocent soul. That's what Jesus said about him. Kind of there's no guile or kind of... We don't know much more about him. He might even be actually Bartholomew. We're not even sure. So we're not even sure what his name is. Actually, there's a bit of confusion about them. So we've got four really ordinary guys here who've been called by Jesus um, to follow him. And I don't know about you, but do you find that reassuring? He calls ordinary men and women to follow him. There's only one superstar in God's kingdom, and he's called Jesus. No one else. And so, wherever you find yourself in God's kingdom, you can be reassured that God has called you there because he wants you there for a purpose. And no matter what you end up finding yourself doing, whether you become like Peter, a great superstar, or you end up like Andrew, who's known because he's related to someone who is a great superstar, you're only there by God's grace, because God's called you, because it was Jesus' initiative. He says, you follow me, I'll have you. And actually, no matter where you find yourself, God's got you, and God's going to use you for his glory. And it doesn't matter how you end up, or how you view yourself, it's all of his grace. Which again, I find wonderfully reassuring. Whatever God calls you to, whether it's public and profile, whether it's quiet and behind the scenes, whether your name is known or your name is never known, actually, God's the one who's got you, God's the one who's called you, and he uses ordinary men and women to do his, do, to, to, to kind of follow his will. These guys here, whose names are not known, were there when Jesus fed the 5,000, so they would have handed out the bread that multiplied. They'd have seen him walk on water, they would have seen the resurrection body. They would have seen great things in the kingdom, even if we know very little about them. They'd have seen things that I would happily give my right arm to have seen and be a part of. But God calls ordinary men and women to serve him and love him and follow him. And the last thing there is the desire to tell others. Both incidents recorded here by John have one person voluntarily telling others about Jesus. Andrew goes and finds his brother Peter. Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. 
We assume there was a close relationship there. Both of them had seen something worth telling and they went and told someone they knew. A couple of things to note there. No one told them to do it. Jesus did not tell either of those guys, go and tell your friends when it was recorded. They just went and did it. And when something good, exciting and life-changing happens to you, you naturally tell other people. That's, just, that's the nature of good news. You know, when something great happens, you just share it. No one has to tell you how to do it. We've had it in this church, and we've had engagements, we've had babies turn up, we've had people getting pregnant, and you just tell others. We have people we've prayed for people to get jobs, they've got jobs, and we pray, we've had house moves come through, and you just share it, because it's good news. That's what it is. And these guys here had an encounter with Jesus, and their first reaction was to tell others. They had a desire to do it. They wanted to do it. No one had to tell them. No one had to say, you must go and tell others. You must go and be evangelistic. Andrew and Philip met Jesus, and they told people close to them, because that was normal. And they told their closest friends first, a brother and a close friend, not total strangers, not people kind of they met on the street, although that's not necessarily wrong. They chose people who were close to them and they told them what Jesus had done in their life. I read this from one of the commentators I was reading. It says, Statistics repeatedly demonstrate that while gospel preaching is undoubtedly important, which is encouraging to know from my point of view, personal witness and friendship continue to be the primary means by which people are brought to Christ. Personal witness and friendship continue to be the primary means by which people are brought to Jesus. That's ordinary men and women telling their friends and family of what God's done in their life. That's the primary means people come to know Jesus. That commentator, that's what he said. It's stunning. These guys had a desire to tell us because they'd met the risen Jesus. What that means for us this morning. What I want us to do now is I want us to worship Jesus together. We're going to do that. We've got the band, they're going to come up and we're going to worship Jesus and we're going to sing we're going to praise him and we're going to use the gifts that we've got to bring glory to him. And I want us to put our heart and our soul and our focus on Jesus. Because what happened to these guys was they met him, they had an encounter with him and the knock-on encounter was they went and told someone. So I could stand here as your pastor and say, go and tell your friends, think about who your friends, think about your friends you live with, think about the friends you're going to see at work tomorrow or this week, tell them about Jesus. Because that's what the Bible says. Which isn't necessarily wrong, it's just not altogether that helpful. And it can be quite kind of legalistic and telling. But if I say to you, let's meet Jesus, you have an encounter with the risen king, what's the natural byproduct? Because you want to tell people. Because you've met the one that the Old Testament talks about. You've met the one that Moses talked about. You've met the king of Israel. You've met the Messiah, the Christ. You've met the Lamb of God. You realise that he's taken initiative and called you to himself. He saved you. He's set you on a path. Like Peter, he said, I'm going to use you. Great things are going to be done through me. You're going to see greater things. That kind of the angels going up and down, what you're going to see is bigger than that, is more than that. So that, was a, a, that you was a plural, that counts us. When you meet that guy, when it comes to Monday morning... Tuesday morning, you're like, what did you do at the weekend? <laughs> Let me tell you. I met the king of the universe. It was awesome. And so I want to go back there. Let's worship Jesus. Let's put our focus on him. Let's give ourselves to him. 
And then out of that comes everything that we see in this story. Everything that we see in this story. And it's the message of Christ will go out. Does that make sense? Are we going to do that? Three people over there are. Excellent. That's where the Spirit's going to be today. Do you want to stand up? Let's pray. And Dave, do you want to get on the band? Want to come get ready? And sing. Mercy Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you took initiative and came to us. Lord God, (laughs) thank you that while we were sinners, we were dead in our sin, the Bible said, we were far from you, we were even called your enemies. Thank you, Lord, that 